When we do a deal, we say, where is it going to be in 10, 15 or 20 years? You know, so we're bullish on the U.S. economy for a long period of time. You're going to have major adjustments. There's no question about it. You know, a lot of people, including me, got taken out to the woodshed and got beaten up and bloody <laughs> in the 08 to 011 crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still have scars from it, you know, and I'm still traumatized from, from it. But we try to structure deals that can outlast the economic cycles. The problem is that right now, a lot of deals are being priced to perfection and people don't realize what can happen. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Jack Miller from Gelt Financial, and we're tackling a few topics here today. First off, we start with how Jack and his company, Gelt Financial, do deals and help people do deals that investors might not have enough capital to do on their own. That's where Jack and his company come in and provide equity and non-bank financing to make deals happen. So if you're looking at a deal, but you don't have all the money on your own, there are still ways to make those things happen. And, and one of those ways is by working with someone like Jack and his company, Gelp Financial. We also get into his experience starting his company in the 1980s, kind of burning the ships and what it took to be successful for him with a with a learning disability that we also you know discuss his experience there and and how he worked with that and worked through that to become successful. I don't want to put too many words in his mouth here because he puts it in such a, a great way throughout our conversation. So there's a lot to be learned there. We also talk about the state of the real estate investing world today through his eyes as someone with decades of real estate investing experience and, and how he and his company are thinking about preparing for the future, especially as real estate investors. So we dig into that and, and so much more today. It's a great conversation and uh, I think we learn so much. So I don't want to say too much about it. You're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically apartment buildings, and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and schedule a conversation with me to discuss what we do and your goals and all of that, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and take the steps, investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every show that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. That helps them grow. That helps the show grow. And we appreciate that so much. Help those around you and that will help you up as well. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, don't forget to look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Jack Miller from Gelt Financial. A lot of great lessons in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Jack, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm super excited to be here with you and your audience. Hey, I'm excited to be speaking with you. We've had a great conversation so far, and there's so much in here that I just couldn't wait to uh, hit record. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do and you know how your business came about? 
Sure. I started Gelt Financial February 1st, 1989. So we're going on 30, I think three years if I'm doing my math right. Mm -hmm. We are commercial real estate lenders and investors. So we provide capital to people who are buying commercial or investment real estate, either as debt or equity. We play both on the debt side, so we'll do first mortgage financing, but we're also very big on the investment side. We provide JV equity, MES equity, PREF equity, all kinds of other financing, and we're non-bank lenders. So if someone can go to a bank or an institution, they're going. People are coming to us usually because of speed of execution. They need a deal quick. They need a deal for sure, and they don't want the hassle of a, a traditional lender. Nice. One of the biggest questions people come up against, I think, when they get started as a real estate investor doing their own deals is, where do I get the capital? A lot of the time, they might have some money saved up, but for the most part, your appetite is typically going to outgrow your, you know, ability to to come up with your own funds for it. So, you know, from from your angle, what's the really the best situation where an investor can come to you and you can really offer them the most value? Like, what's your your ideal situation where your product and service, your your money is the best fit? Well, I, I'm going to answer your question, but if I can deviate for one Please, second, go I for apologize. It. It's your show. But I hear that a lot too, that, oh, I can't mm-hmm. buy real estate because I don't have any money. And I have to tell you, when I was 17 or 18 years old, okay, I had no credit. Rates were 15 and three quarters percent. Prime was, I think, 18 or 19 percent. And I, and yeah, and I started to buy real estate. I started to buy real estate with no money. I raised a family. I started to buy more real estate, usually with no money. And for years, decades, decades and decades, I buy commercial real estate of none of my own money using outside capital. So, you know, a lot of times people use that, I don't want to say as a hindrance, but it's an obstacle they need to overcome and it's overcomable. So now to answer your question, what we look for, and we provide capital all the time, we provide JV equity where the people don't have any money if it's a really good deal. Given it, we just closed the deal, a suburban location outside, whatever. You're from Pennsylvania, I think. So it, it's yeah. outside Willow, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It was a mixed use property right out of them outside of uh, Willow Grove Mall. And we provided 100% of the equity for it because we loved the location. It was a real value add deal. And we were thrilled to be parts of the deal. And two guys found the property, they got the debt, they got the bank financing, and they brought us in for the equity. And that's just one of many where we're providing 100% of the capital stack or all the money needed because we love the deal. So if it's an average deal, no. But if it's really a good deal, we're thrilled to do it. And not only us, there's tons of people who are thrilled to put it in together. Well, I love that mentality. And and I hope we're going to talk about other obstacles here uh, during this interview that we were discussing uh, before we hit record. But I want to dig into, you know, these deal structures a little bit more just so we can really understand, you know, you provided the equity in that case. So there was a, a bank lender and you provided, I suppose, the the down payment and uh, maybe some capital expenditures or something. Are you charging, you know, interest or, you know, basically what's in it for you? What, what do, you know, these clients need to be prepared for? Yeah. In that case, we provided the down payment, the closing costs, some CapEx and some reserves. So we provided everything. And typically, those deals are structured as a preferred return. And the preferreds generally, depending on the product, could be from 8 to 10%, could be as high as 12 just depends on how risky it is. And in that case, we own a piece of the equity. 
you know, and that varies. The piece of the equity varies depending on how good of a deal. It's sort of a negotiated item. The better the deal, the more we're willing to give up. But usually if we're putting up 100% of the money, we're going to control and own anywhere from 50 to 80% of the deal. Nice. Well, that is a big question too that comes up, say, a lot on bigger pockets from people who are kind of newer at dealing with investor investors putting their capital in. Hey, how much of a percentage do I need to give up? And in my mind, the investor who's putting up the money should get most of the equity, if at a bare minimum half. But it sounds like most of the time you're going to expect kind of the the majority share if you're putting up all the money. Yeah, and I think I would answer it a different way. It's not okay, what you're sure. giving up; it's it's what you're getting. Mm. You know, we, we closed another deal in New Jersey. A guy brought us a property, brought us a tenant. It was an office building. It needed work and to lease it out to a tenant. We, again, put up 100% of the capital, okay? And he got, I, I forget whether it was a 60-40 deal or whatever. Let's say it was a 60-40 deal. He got 40% of the deal without putting up any of the capital. People have a tendency sometimes to look at what they're giving up. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's like me watching, you know, a movie and some movie star and say, oh, look, look what I'm giving up by not meeting her. <laughs> you know, I don't even know this girl. You know, it, it's what you're getting. It's what you're getting. And with us, you're getting a reliable, steady source of capital. So you're right. You can look at what you're giving up. But the truth is, you don't have anything unless you have the capital. Well, I love the way you you reframed that. And, and also, I think that's more accurate, right? Because if if without an investor, someone, if, if say I have no ability to close on that property, well, I've got 100% of nothing right now. But if I'm able to close on the property with an investor, then I've got X percent of something. So I didn't give up anything. I, I, I went from 100% of nothing to a percentage of something. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of investors, and it's a, it's a very good point because a lot of what I call the investors who are under the two, $3 million range, they think, oh, I'm giving up this, I'm giving up that. Mm-hmm. They don't realize when these huge, big real estate partnerships are structured with Blackstone and, and all of these guys, they're structured the same way. You, you know, the GP in them gets a small piece of them. You know, someone could see a whole huge shopping center go up, but they don't realize the actual sponsor may be only getting 10%, 15%, whatever it may be. And the guy with the money is getting the vast majority of it. That's the way that the financial world works. And that's the way the hedge funds work. Well, you know, I really appreciate you bringing that angle to us. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about or ask you about the current state of things, because you made a great point when you started buying properties, interest rates were at a level that today is unfathomable. I mean, compared to to where we are today. And I'd love to ask you your thoughts on where we stand right now, you know, in, in the real estate market. Obviously, if you thought real estate was a terrible deal in all cases, you probably wouldn't be here on this podcast talking with us about it. So what are your thoughts about you know, where we are today and, and where we may be headed in the future, right? None of, none of us have a crystal ball, but you do have a, very, a wealth of experience in the area. You know, look, we're long-term believers in the U.S. economy. So when we do a deal, and now we're a second-generation company, two of my sons are in the business, uh, who are about your age. And when we do a deal, we say, where is it going to be in 10, 15, or 20 years? You know, so we're bullish on the U.S. economy for a long period of time. You're going to have major adjustments. There's no question about it. You know, a lot of people, including me, 
got taken out to the woodshed and got beaten up and bloodied in the <laughs> 08 to 011 crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still have scars from it, you know, and I'm still traumatized from it. But we try to structure deals that can outlast the economic cycles. The problem is that right now, a lot of deals are being priced to perfection and people don't realize what can happen. You know, there's a lot of people who are young and they haven't lived through bad markets and they think, Oh, things are going to be great. There's never been inflation. They've never seen rates go up to 300 basis points all at once. Rates have always been low. The stock market's always going up. So when we underwrite deals, we I hate to say it, it sounds terrible, but we underwrite them for a crisis. Mm-hmm. And we try to make sure that it's set up to live through a crisis, that the deal will withstand any shock tests that happen. So you might not have to, you you want to avoid having to exit during a crisis. You want to ride it through and get to the other side, if I understand right. A hundred, a hundred percent. If you have to exit during a crisis, it's over. You might as well just pack it up. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I appreciate that. So earlier on, you mentioned that you started your business. I think you said February 1st of, of 1989. And before we were recording, you were 87. 87. Okay. Sorry. I, yeah, that's, I missed all right. the year. that's all right. <laughs> so the, the circumstances of starting the business and all of that, I just want to dig into, you know, what you went through to, to make it work and, you know, basically what it takes to, I don't know if you would, you would say you burned the ships or not, but you know, let's, let's dive into it and tell us uh, about, you know, how you got started in this business. You know, I, I happen to be dyslexic. And going to college was not an option for me. And really, and in the 60s and 70s, dyslexia was really maybe just diagnosed. They used to call it brain damage. And really, graduating high school was barely achievable. But I had an inside of me, my belly was on fire to be in the business world. I knew I couldn't be a doctor or lawyer, but I could certainly learn how to buy real estate. So I started buying real estate at 17 or 18 years old. And along the way, some of that was a disaster and some of it was good, like anything else, a lot of lessons learned. Well, I took a job at a mortgage company and I resigned from the mortgage company. Actually, it was the day my first child, Joshua, was born. I resigned right from the hospital bed. I called um, back then. uh, We really didn't have cell phones. (laughs) It was the truth. I called my boss and I said, I'm resigning. I'm starting my own company. Of course, my father-in-law and father thought I was crazy. My wife believed and my wife gave me tremendous support. And I've always been lucky. I've had a tremendous uh, cheerleader who my wife uh, really has cheered me on at every crazy step. A lot of hard work, a lot of lessons, uh, a lot of being uh, publicly humiliated and embarrassed and being beaten up with the different economic cycles, particularly from 06 to 011. But, you know, I stuck through it. And I built a company, and the company is a very strong company. The company is pretty much a national company. I think we have assets in 26 states at this point. You know, I'm very proud of what we've done along the way. It's been a lot of fun. I've loved it. A lot of challenges. Work with great, great people. I love working with smart people. I'm not smart. I just work hard. But for me, it's never been hard work because I really love it. Nice. So Robert Kiyosaki has this this idea that A students work for C students. Are you familiar with that idea of his? Uh, and I don't know how original of an idea that is on his part, but would you agree with that? Or, or what are your thoughts about that? Is that a good rule in general? Or, you know, is, is he just kind of out to lunch there? You know, behind me, there's a, a part of my bookcase and I have 
Kiyosaki's original books. So I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I, I, I certainly believe that. You know, for, in, in I had the, the worst luck in the world that I bought a bank. A bank, believe it or not. Who do you know that buys a bank? No one buys a bank. <laughs> you, you can buy a, a restaurant or a car, but a bank. I bought a bank. I, I, I don't want to say it was me alone, but I led the investor group to buy a bank in 2006. And I found wow. myself interviewing bank managers. And it was the oddest feeling in the world. These guys are smart guys. And I'm thinking, I'm this, this dumb kid from Northeast Philadelphia. Can't even come up with a high school diploma. And I'm interviewing bank presidents. Uh, and people, you know, and att attorneys and, and this and that. So, look, it, it, it happened in my case, but, you know, er everyone's different. I know some very, very smart people who've been, achieved tremendous success, who've been A students. Uh, but for me, we, you know, we're all given something. For me, I was given some good and some bad. I had to create my own path. I have a choice. You can either cry about what you were given with. But I believe whatever we're given with, and all of us have our own stuff that we've been given with, whether it be physical or emotional or mental or whatever, we have to take it and make the best out of it. And I really believe that, that it's up to us all to take whatever talents we have and use them for humanity and for the best we can for ourselves, for our family and for humanity. Nice. Was that always your mentality or do you remember kind of making that mindset shift? I mean, you mentioned you were uh, investing in properties pretty young. So maybe you made that shift early on, or I, I don't know, did you, you know, have a, a moment of clarity around no, that? I, you know, I, I can't say it was a moment, you know, I, I grew up uh, being called an idiot and brain damage and everyone around me thought I was the biggest sh sh schmuck and the biggest <laughs> idiot, the biggest mm -hmm. idiot in the world. Uh, but when I got out in the business world and I realized that the only thing that mattered is can you deliver? No one cared about my college education and no one cared what my grade was or anything that the only thing that mattered is can you deliver the, the bring home the bacon, so to speak? Can you deliver the goods? That's all that mattered. Can you negotiate? Can you find the property? Can you finance it? Can you sell it? Can you deal with the contractors? Can you deal with all of the thousand things? So I guess it was a light that went off and said all of the stuff that I was labeled the first 15 or 20 years was totally irrelevant to the real world. The only thing that matters is, can I deliver? Can I deliver on the performance of the investment or the business or whatever it may be that I'm dealing with with my partners? Nice. So uh, Dale Carnegie, right, uh, in, in How to Win Friends and Influence People, basically teaches us that people's skills are what will really you know, make you the most money. It doesn't doesn't matter really how smart you are. If you're really bad with people, you're going to be in in a bad way. And and there's this idea of uh, like book smarts versus street smarts and and emotional intelligence. And this is just this question is just kind of occurring to me now as we have a talk. Do you think you rate high on you know emotional intelligence? Has that been part of your uh, skill set? Would you say, or would you disagree with that? I don't think so. I don't think there's any intelligence with me, to be candid with you. <laughs> I, 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 and, Come and on now. I really don't. And there's very little people skills. Uh, I'm not a people person. I'm actually socially awkward. Uh, I'm very insecure. But I have an inner drive to succeed. And that inner drive to succeed forces me to be on with you today. This is very unnatural of Jack to be on talking with you today and recording and trying to be funny. The Jack is, wants to sit in the corner and not talk to anyone. But again, I have to overcome certain things in my personality 
to succeed. And part of it is going out there in the public, putting myself out there, putting myself out there for ridicule, not being scared of ridicule and to be embarrassed. And because I have that inside me, there's a fire in my belly that says, succeed, do another deal, grow, do more, hire another person, expand. And every day, it doesn't leave me 24-7, no matter what I'm doing. I'm in the shower. I'm thinking about business. I'm doing all kinds of things that are inappropriate to talk about this. I'm thinking about business. 24-7, I'm thinking about how I can offer a better product to everyone who comes in touch with us, how we can add value to everyone, how we can uplift people, how we can do another deal, how to make our company a stronger company for everybody, for our vendors, for our investors, for our great team. And that's just burning through me and I just can't get rid of it. Nice. I love that. And and in general, I would say the passion for this business and in real estate is much higher than I think any other industry. I've met so many folks who are, you know, further along in their real estate investing careers, much more than I am. And they're at the point where they could retire if they wanted to. They could go sit on a beach and heck, if they had a nine to five job they they hated and they hit the same level of financial success, they would be out of there. But they love the business so much they they keep going and that's that's what I get out of you here. I, I love it. I, I love the people. I love the excitement. It's just it's just a lot of fun for me. Look, there's a lot of heartaches, and I could tell you about a lot of the heartaches. You know, and you say, oh, why don't you jump, jump off a river? You, you know, but it's a tremendous sense of accomplishment for me. And I love working with good people. You know, I get to meet a lot of fantastically smart people. And maybe that's part of it. And thinking about it, I didn't think about it. It's probably a good therapy session for me because I'm not that <laughs> smart. I, I, I get to work with a lot of really smart people. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons I like it so much. Nice. Well, we are, you know, just to break the fourth wall a little bit for the listeners, we're talking here at 5.40 p.m., on a Tuesday and you're, you're still here. So, you know, I, I appreciate that for sure. Are there any deals or deal structures or areas or anything like that that you're categorically saying no to right now? Well, we're, we don't have the expertise in development or land deals. So we don't do new construction or development deals uh, just because we don't have the expertise in it. Having said that, we're actually closing one in Texas which we just signed the term sheet on. But it's because the partner's so strong. You know, think of us with value-add deals and stabilized deals. That's Mm. really our strength. Mm, Okay, okay. That all makes sense. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or 
using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Jack, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? You know, for me, it was starting my own company, but really it was buying and holding, not selling good quality real estate. Nice. You, you nice. know, a lot of people are tempted to sell, especially right now, cap rates are low and they say, oh, let's sell, let's take the money off the table. But for me, looking back over a 40 year career, every sale I've made has been, I'm sorry I made it. <laughs> so one thing in that realm that people talk about now is not necessarily selling, but we're really racking up on two or three, well, really three, 4% debt right now. And, and, you know, talk to your financial advisor and all of that, but, but rates being historically low is now a time when maybe people are over leveraging because they are, they're not really preparing to hit that crisis that we had talked about earlier. I believe so. I'm very negative on leverage. I'm very negative on buying at these cap rates. We're experiencing uh, record low cap rates, a market that's priced to perfection and factored into perfection. And uh, it's only a matter of time before there's a real disaster. You know, every seven to 10 years is a tremendous economic crisis. In this business, you know, go back, how many of the people who you say you, you talk to now, they're all young. Try to find someone who lived and survived through the 08, 011 crisis. See if they're still in the business. 90% of them are out of the business. And usually it's because they over leverage. And there's always another disaster coming around the corner. People don't think there is, but I guarantee, I hope I'm wrong. Believe me, I, I hope I'm wrong. But it's foolheartedly of me to think that it's not. Sure. Yeah. I mean, who really saw coronavirus coming, you know, six months or a year ahead of time? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? You know, believe it or not, in 2006, I bought a bank. And at the time, it, yeah, it, very unusual. It's almost impossible to buy a bank. In fact, then it was almost impossible, but somehow I did it. And it turned out to be the worst investment for a lot of reasons. And for many years, I beat, beat myself up at night over it, but it was really the timing of it. It was because I bought it right as we're entering in the global economic recession. And if I would have bought it five years earlier, 10 years earlier, I would have been a hero. And or if I would have bought it five, 10 years later, I would have been a hero, hero. But I wasn't a hero. I was a loser in that case. So that was without a doubt the worst investment I've ever made. How did you end up exiting that deal? Oh, it was very simple. The federal government comes along and says, <laughs> you're, you're out of here. Um, oh, man. You're out of here. That, that, them saying that was the easy part. Uh, it was the, the years of aggravation that I went through before that was the hard part. Mm, interesting. Wow. Well, you had mentioned that earlier in 2006, and I thought maybe there would be, be an interesting uh, backstory there. The truth is, if you buy real estate, I've made a lot of bad deals. But if you buy real estate, you hold it. The bad deals got forgotten about because it doesn't matter 20, 30 years later when the property went up 10 times in value. No one says, oh, you paid more. We made so much money. You know, so time heals a lot of wounds and a lot of bad moves in real estate because it goes up so much. 
Yeah, and have that that long time frame, long long time horizon. That's the best thing. Have a long time horizon. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It's pretty much what you said. Have a long time horizon. Have a long have investors' goals aligned with yours. You know, but be in it for the long run and be prepared for things to go wrong. Because when you're prepared for things to go wrong, you can withstand whatever's going to happen that you just can't even, you can't even think about. It's so crazy, the stuff that happens. So have a long time horizon. You know, someone told me many years ago, uh, uh, this guy who I met, his name was Jack too. I went out to lunch with him when he was, let's say, 40 and maybe I was 20 or something. And he had a tremendous amount of real estate. And I said, how did you get so wealthy? He says, very simple. He said, I bought a lot of real estate. I took 15 and 20 year loans and I did not die. So that's my advice. <laughs> Buy good real estate, take 15 and 20 year loans and don't die. I'm, I'm really going for that last one too, as long as I can. Don't die. I'm, I'm hanging out. <laughs> that's that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And you'll see the fruits of your labor. You'll, you'll love it. You'll be a hero. As nice. long as you do those things, you'll be a hero. I love it. Well, Jack, it's been a great conversation today. It's been great connecting with you. And I'm confident that our listeners have learned a lot today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, talk about you know, your business or anything like that, where can they track you down? You know, you can go to the geltfinancial.com website. That's G-E-L-T financial.com website. And my contact information is there. Gelt Financials all over social media. So you can check us out there as well. And call us. We're active deal makers. We're doing deals every day of the week. We're doing deals. Awesome. Well, I love that. And I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been a great conversation. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.